Lucas, have you heard of the Vertigo lens turret? No. Well, let me tell you. Should I open this link? I think you should open that link. Okay, I'm just, opening this link live here. Feast your eyes upon this awesomeness. So for our viewers who cannot see what we're talking about, imagine like a Gatling gun, you know, with the rotating barrels, except it's actually lenses on the front of a camera. I mean, isn't this how cameras used to be? Like old school broadcast cameras, they had three lenses and they just like rotated them? I Maybe so. Maybe, maybe that is how they used to be. But this is modern day. You can get this for like PL mount, EF mount. I was going to ask if you could put whatever lenses you want on there. And then I scrolled down. This guy has like an L series, like 85 millimeter and a 24 to 70 and a fisheye. It looks crazy. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is wild. So basically, it's this rotating thing that you put on the front of your camera. It supports a, a number of cameras right now. I think they have EF mount and then it works on like Airy and Yeah, red. it says P, PL and EF. yeah. Basically, it's like a quick switch for lenses. So instead of having to take the lens off, you can just rotate this thing. And that's the point of this product. This is insane. <laughs> he said it does, the The inventor said it doesn't work on mirrorless lenses right now because I guess it's probably for the flange distance. You know, they probably can't get it close That enough. makes sense. But then he said that like one of the things they're hoping to make it work with is RF mount cameras. So I guess that would be like if you wanted to put this on your C70 or something, then you could use an EF lens on an rf camera but i think you can't use an rf lens yeah you know i guess that makes sense right you you mount it on rf and then it adapts over this is this is nuts yeah i want to like i want to see a mobile rig with a with like a c70 where they have three lenses (laughs) strapped to the front of it i don't know if the lens mounts uh made to support that yeah i don't know either maybe he's like some rails or something to to hold this thing the, up it, it doesn't but like maybe the the wheel on the front that holds the three lenses has like a tripod mount on it <laughs> <laughs> can i have this with built-in nds <laughs> where like one like it's like lazy susan on the back can like slide through my nds while i'm rotating through my lenses on the front so here's the thing that sounds useful to me i'm not sure this is useful i mean maybe if you're in like the like some kind of super run and gun situation you know, if you're like, if you're in a live broadcast environment, maybe it's helpful for that. But if you're shooting a movie or something, it doesn't take that long to swap, swap lenses. I don't know. Yeah, true. So, yeah, I mean, like maybe if you just don't have the zoom for it, I guess. <laughs> I guess, but I don't know. It's strange. This reminds me a lot of uh, something else we're going to talk about later in this episode, which could be a pretty good competitor to this product. Okay. Well, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear more. <laughs> I guess I'll have to wait and see, but... I don't know about this thing. It feels like something I would come up with in a dream, but then say, like nobody a, wants this. Like and, a fever dream? Yeah. <laughs> like you wake up in a cold sweat. You're yep. like, Lucas, three lenses. Dane, are you okay? <laughs> and then this guy actually built it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, you know, don't let your dreams be dreams. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. All right. So, what are we talking about today? Uh, man, I don't even know. Just like a lot of a lot of little things. I don't know. There's like a lot of weird, stupid stuff happening in uh, camera world, and I don't know. Maybe we just run through it. Yeah, sounds good for people that are following along as we as as you listen to this. We are recording this in the middle of NAB. So at some point in the show, we're going to talk about some things that were announced at NAB. You're not listening to this show while NAB is happening. 
Yeah. NAB was a few weeks ago for you. But. Yeah, so we probably won't get into too much detail, but you know, maybe we'll talk about NAB stuff uh, yeah. a little later. Yeah, it's hard for us to not get excited about new camera gear. So I know we've got some of that, but we have some other things first. So what's up on the list? Okay, cool. So uh, a new firmware update for the FX30 and the FX3. Yep. And they added uh, anamorphic de-squeeze modes just straight into camera like Panasonic. Yeah, yeah. I saw they had that and they had a couple of other things too, right? So they had like a true 24 FPS uh dci 4k was that yeah that, that's right so true 24 so not 23.97 you can get 24 straight up you can shoot in dci 4k which is that 17 by 9 true 4k and then the d-squeeze it's almost like they uh, are feeling that heat from that lumix camera yeah. which is sitting right at the same price point as the fx30 it does kind of seem that way did you see the caveat to that anamorphic d-squeeze i did not what was so it? the caveat is that steady shot which is like their version of ibis doesn't seem like it works with this really yeah Interesting. I wonder. I wonder if that has to do with like uh, the image circle and the lens coverage. Maybe so. I I don't know. Uh, or you know, or if it's just like some weird software thing. But yeah, E mount was originally designed as an APS C mount, and uh, then they squeezed that full frame in there. Yeah. So interesting. The other big feature I can't remember if you mentioned this, but they added the focus breathing compensation. Yeah, that's right. They finally ran that down the line. And, well, they didn't run it all the way down the line. That's well, what people are for upset the FX about, right? thirty and the FX FX three. Yeah, yeah. So people that shoot Sony have been talking about that feature in particular because it's on some of the newer cameras, like it's on right. the A seven four, but it hasn't been on the higher end things. Yeah, it's like still the, not on the A one. Yeah, it's not on the A one. It's not on the A seven S three. Not, right. It wasn't on the FX3 until this update. It wasn't clear to me if this update is for the A7S3 or just the FX3. Does that mean the FX3 has breathing compensation and the A7S3 doesn't? That's my understanding. I think that this update was just for the FX3. Man, that's crazy. It used to be that like they were the same camera and like you would just get the FX3 if you needed a lot of the cinema stuff and you didn't need an eyepiece. Yeah. It seems like there's probably people out there who need focused breathing compensation and an eyepiece. I guess if that's you... Uh, Maybe you got just got to get a different camera. Maybe so, or you know, or maybe that update is coming. But maybe you know, it is. We'll um, see. It was good to see the updates for sure, and I know that people that have that camera are happy to see mm-hmm. something with substantial new features. Because a lot of times when we get firmware updates, it's just bug fixes or something. So. Right. It would be cool. Like I want to see the FX30 keep pushing more into like get those cinema features. I wanted to you know have things like false color or you know shutter angle those those sort of things that you you see on. The equivalent Panasonic cameras. It'd be nice if the you know these mirrorless shaped cinema cameras you know that are cheap would have those features. So yeah, this feels like it's one step in that direction. Yeah, it is a step in that direction. I mean, I know I saw people disappointed that it does not have the shutter angle, and you know that's something in particular. It's just like it's a software thing. Like why can't why can't you just change the way that you see it in the software? It doesn't seem hard, and I know that's still not there, but. Like you said, hopefully it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. And like the, with the, all the Sony stuff, it seems like E-mount is starting to kind of take the place of what EF used to be. And so we're getting, we're seeing, you know, you know typically like a, like a cinema lens will come out. It's like, oh, it's in PL and EF. Right. Uh, starting to see some stuff come out in also E. Um, and then usually like L as well. But uh, like the the Mavo, the new Mavo camera that they came out with, uh, they really announced it like a few months ago. Okay. They've been talking about it at NAB. Uh, that one, it was PLEF, also E, huh. and as, okay. as an optional mount onto yeah. it. So it feels like more things are coming coming for E-mount, and which means like now there's more maybe cinema lens options. And so if you're, you're getting these anamorphic lenses in E-mount, it's nice that, you know, 
FX3, FX30, you're going to be able to de-squeeze it in camera. Yeah, that makes sense. It's cool to see that that mount growing and options growing and like third-party support and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, since we're talking about firmware updates, you want to you want to cover that other uh, big exciting firmware update from the XH2S <laughs> oh. that has tons of new features that oh, we're so geez. excited about. The one that they clicked up from 3.1 to 4.0. Yeah, can, can huge. You, can ma- you imagine what would be in a 4.0 firmware for ma- the XH2S? Major update, a camera that's less than a year old and it's on its 4.0 firmware. Yeah. Wild new features mm-hmm. like what? Uh, well, they added the frame.io stuff, you know, where they 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 announced it. And now it's finally been added. You can you can record straight up to frame.io from camera. Mm-hmm. Which sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Very, except, very specific use case. Except that you need a $1,000 accessory to do that. Yep, sure do. I don't know. Do you have to have that accessory with the Ethernet cable or can it do it over Wi-Fi? I saw something online that said it could do it wirelessly. Interesting. Which to me makes it significantly more useful. Right. But... I, I didn't confirm that myself. It's still a very specific workflow. And I'm beats like I'm trying to think of when when you would have to have an XH2S to do this. It's kind of like maybe if you, this is your workflow and you're looking for the cheapest achievable camera to work it. I don't know. I guess like the in-camera colors are really good and so you're not having if you're not, you know, applying lots of stuff after the fact. I was also curious how many people are shooting Fuji and doing this because like when I saw this feature, the first thing I thought of is this feels like something Blackmagic would do. You know, like, like you have these Blackmagic broadcast cameras and pocket cameras, and it seems like their kind of feature. And it, it is weird to see Fuji doing this because, I mean, the fact is we don't really see Fuji being used too much in professional environments. And this feature really feels like a professional aimed thing. So I'm sure they wouldn't have put in all the effort to do this if they didn't have a market for it. So I'm sure they've talked to Fuji shooters who wanted this feature, but it is just kind of, it feels very niche. Yeah, it does. And so they did add like um, Adobe camera cloud connection and that sort of thing. But it's, it's like all these specialty features that I guess are cool to be there. It doesn't seem like they fixed any of the bugs. Yeah. I I mean, that's that was my big disappointment is anytime I see a new Fuji firmware update, I'm like, this is the one. This is the one where I'm going to be able to set ISO to a dial. It's a simple request. Surely everyone's been asking for this. That's going to solve all my problems. This one still didn't hit the mark. Still, still not there. I mean, it almost makes me wonder if they're never going to add it. Yeah. And I'd like... It used to be that whenever like Fuji had this something Zen philosophy where, you know, they're like, okay, we have this old camera, but we're just going to keep bringing features to it. And like the X-T2 got things like 120 frame per second recording modes, like a couple of years into its life. Yeah. And so whenever I bought my X-T3, I was like, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to get all this cool new stuff. They never brought the new film simulations to the X-T3. And it feels like there's bugs and things that we're needing on the X-H2S and like Firmware 4.0 still hasn't come. Yeah. And I'm wondering that if, if they, they just don't do that anymore and they're more kind of running along the lines of Sony and like, oh, we'll just add that into the next camera. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of gives me the feeling like maybe they don't have the software engineering people available. You know, like maybe they maybe they just don't have as much of a workforce anymore that can actually do those things because we also don't see them releasing like tons of new cameras. I mean, it's not like they have the X-H3 waiting in the wings as far as we've seen. Not usually they're on like a three-year tick. 
And they haven't, they've dropped so many of their lines. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we don't even know if we're ever going to get an X Pro 4. Yep. Maybe this, maybe that's coming out this year. I think that the next Fuji Summit is sometime in May. I, yeah, I do and think they are it's in probably May. going to announce a new camera. They'll probably update their lens roadmap. I think the only lenses that we're waiting on are like a eight mil, eight and a half millimeter F, like a six lens or something like that, some super wide prime. And then maybe like one more. And so, not sure what's coming, but yeah. it seems like they're maybe they're gearing resources towards the next camera releases. I just, Nexus 2S is their flagship, right? Like this is their video camera. And I don't know, it'd be nice to see more, you know, it to finally get there, right? Yeah. You know, like get the uh, integration with Resolve figured out for F-Log 2 and give us ISO on a dial and fix the problems with all the autofocus things where it's like manual focus doesn't work or this setting locks out or whatever yeah i mean we sound like broken records on this stuff because mm-hmm. we keep complaining about it but every time there's a new firmware update it's just it's more and more frustrating yeah it is and i feel and it's like the closer we get to the one year mark of its release which they announced it mid-may last year and like i know that you know we bought it as soon as it came yeah, out it came in, out about july july time frame but it's like we're right at a year you know like where are all these all these fixes and i mean i don't I sound so demanding, but it's like once you hit that year mark, it's like at this point, they probably don't care enough to fix it. Disappointing. Yeah. I'm finally jealous of uh, Sony shooters because they're getting good firmware updates. Oh, I don't know about that. People have been complaining about the Sony firmware <laughs> problems and updates for years. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's getting any better, but mm, yeah. And I'm sure we're just all going to have to switch to Panasonic. That's it. I guess so. So um, I guess to be totally honest, I haven't upgraded to 4.0 yet. Still need to do it, and then maybe I'll I'll run it through all all the paces of the thing, problems that I have, see if any of them are fixed, and they just didn't list them. Man, we sure are going to feel dumb if they actually did let you put ISO on a dial in this update, and <laughs> you just haven't updated the. Oh firmware boy, yet. yeah, sure would. I would also just be happy. I would happily be like, sorry, everybody, uh, Fuji is now the best again. And yeah, you would, would br- you would somehow bring yourself to make that statement. Yep, mm-hmm. uh-huh. it would it would be real tough, but you know what? I'd bite bite my tongue and eat my shoe or whatever <laughs> they say. All right, cool. Well, since we're complaining about Fuji. Yeah, let's do some more of that. Let's just just dive into it. So we recently shot an interview. We had the two XH2Ss as A cam, B cam, shooting that sweet 6.2K. And I used the X-T3 as like a handheld C cam just for the tight shots and a lot of movement, that sort of thing. And for sync reasons, I was like, I'll just record continuously with this thing instead of doing multiple clips. And I guess I haven't shot in 4K60 for 20 continuous minutes on that camera before. It definitely got hot. <laughs> oh boy. But I was using the 17 to 70, which we can both agree is the worst lens ever. It's the worst lens that we can't stop using. Okay. Sorry. Let me clarify. It's a great lens. I just, I, I don't like, I don't like it. Like the, 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 the stupid you know, zoom thing won't hold its position and it's like plasticky and it's just so versatile and it's like perfect for everything. And it's a giant lens and I just can't get rid of it. Yep. I mean, I mean, it's really like the Toyota Corolla of lenses, you know, it's like the super boring choice and you wouldn't tell somebody to get that car and have them be like excited about it, but it just works. Yeah. I mean, it does. It's like, Hey Lucas, is there a standard zoom for Fuji that's fast at 2.8 and also has OIS? I'm like, uh, yeah, there's one and it's a Tamron 17 to 70 mm-hmm. and it's great mm-hmm. and I hate it. Yep. And so I was using that lens because the X-T3 doesn't have um, IBIS. Seems so like a good choice. It's a yeah. perfect choice. So like that lens specifically, when you zoom in and out, the all the elements, like they have to reset themselves. And so say you're like in focus and you zoom in, it'll get really blurry and then it'll get in focus again. And it's just because like all the, all the elements have to move as you zoom in and out. And 
I was doing a lot of this like punch in, punch out, punch in, punch out, uh, like a boxer. Because I wanted that effect, right? I'm shooting in 4K 60, we're delivering in 30. And so I'm hoping that, you know, I we can you can grab one of those punch ins in the edit, slow it down to half mm. speed and have it like focus pull in and it'll kind of look cool. Yeah, maybe. And so, so I was doing a lot of this and uh eventually it like the manual focus just straight up stopped working. The manual focus. Yeah, it's focused mm. by wire. And I'm doing this, and then like all of a sudden it's like now I'm out of focus and it just won't focus. I can't like back button autofocus, I can't half press the shutter, I can't manually focus, and the lens just got stuck. I had to stop recording and like cycle power for the lens to like get caught back up to like where is focus. And I don't know if that's a Tamron lens issue or if that's uh, an XT3 issue. There is a firmware update for this lens. They didn't ship this one with the USB port on it. So you have to have their base or you have to like go to them or go to a camera store and have the camera store update that's the annoying. lens. So it could, that could be the problem. It could be a problem that I just haven't got the firmware update for the lens. So maybe like this is a PSA of, hey, there is problems with this lens. Go get the firmware update. But I, I had to cycle power on this three times in a 20 minute interview because all the zooming in and out, it would it would lose its ability to focus. Yeah. It would either stop focusing or it like I couldn't focus close enough. Like I'm turning and turning and turning the focus style and it won't bring the focus plane in to get the shot in focus. Man, what a weird problem. Yeah, not something I was expecting to have, not something I've ever seen on that lens. And it's always like, when you have problems, it's whenever you really don't need to have problems. It's not yeah. something like I'm in the backyard shooting sweet vids of my dog and going, ah, wait, it won't focus. No, it's like, here's this thing where we're getting paid to do an interview. And, uh, oh, wow, cool. Hardware is not working. Yep. And we're going to be able to deal with that. I mean, we'll be able to sync it up and use it. But it's just like that's going to add extra work for us in the edit. It, it is it, like it, the third angle. It, but yeah, yeah. It's, instead of having like three shots, boom, they're all aligned. Now it's like these two are aligned and then we're going to have to line the uh, three clips on top of it. I mean, it, it effectively costs us money, right? Yeah, it's like we have to spend time fixing that mm -hmm. and we shouldn't have had to. I'd be really curious whether the same problem would happen on the X-H2S. I might, I might test it. It's easy to test, right? Like you just, yeah. just run your camera for 20 minutes and do a bunch of zooming in and out and see what happens. So I'm writing this down, test 17 to 70 on X-H2S. I am going to need to get that firmware updated though yeah that that's the other variable but man what a frustrating problem yeah it sure was so lots of lots of fuji love happening right now yeah it, it's like this isn't the fuji cast this mm -hmm. week at least everything we shot's gonna look super delicious yeah so i am looking forward to working on that project and maybe we'll come back with some thoughts on it after we've had a chance to actually work through it maybe we will yeah what else is happening in the world daniel well, like I mentioned earlier, NAB is in full swing. Mm -hmm. And because we're camera gear nerds, it's a really fun time to be on Twitter and be looking at all those announcements. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. So I know that neither of us has really had a lot of time to dig into these things. And normally I like to like watch a bunch of YouTube videos and stuff where we talk about things. And personally, I haven't had time to do that since a lot of these things were announced. Well, yeah, I mean, it started like a few days ago. Yeah. So Yeah. So we're still in the middle of it. But I do think it's I mean, just because I want to be able to talk about stuff I've seen, maybe we can just kind of go through some of the things that we've seen, some of the stuff we're excited about, and then maybe in future weeks we can dig into some of them a little bit more once we've had a chance to research it. Sure. Let's uh, let's start with this thing that I teased earlier, which is another Fuji thing. It's still the Fuji cast! <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> they have these, uh, what do they call them, Duvo lenses or something? 
which is the line of lenses that Fuji uses for broadcast. Are those the ones that look like a big box? They can be. There's okay. a, they also make smaller mobile ones. Oh. But they came. So I know you watch a ton of football. Oh yeah, so much all football. The time. And you're really familiar with how they added those red zone cameras, which are just people with A7Fours on gimbals. I, and, I do know about that. And they yeah. shoot them with like super low depth of field, and everyone's like, "Wait, why does that look crazy?" Everyone's like, "Oh, the NFL finally discovered YouTube." Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so for that market of not just like NFL stuff, but for people who need a versatile broadcast style lens, but they want like a nice low depth of field, Fuji has released this lens that is a 25 to 1,000 millimeter zoom. Okay, and that's, it's for, that's a lot. <laughs> and it's for APS-C and full frame. What? Yeah. Now that's surprising because a lot of times you see these broadcast lenses with ranges like that, it's because they're for some tiny little sensor. Exactly. And like usually they're like a one inch sensor and they have this huge zoom on it and then it's like F8 or something. And that's yeah. why like everything's in focus. Well, this one at 1000 millimeters, it's F5. <laughs> <laughs> Just think of all that buka. Yeah. It's going to be so wild. creamy. It's wild. On the far end, it's 2.8. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like your 17 to 70, but much bigger. Uh, yeah. I mean, like Canon, Canon sells zooms for their full frame cameras that are, you know, even slower than this. Yeah. I mean, you are going to pay for it. So what it, what what are you going to pay for it? Uh, or somewhere around $260,000. Oh, is that it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, just a quarter million. <laughs> Man, well, I, I didn't go out and buy one then. Yep. Easy. You know, this or a house, depending upon, I guess, depending upon the market. Yeah. <laughs> Is this going to fit on my camera? Like, like how big is this thing? Uh, well, I think that it only comes in EF and PL mount. So you're going to have to get an adapter. Okay. And it's about two feet long and 10 inch square. Honestly, that's not bad for that range. It does weigh, uh, hold on, let me get this right. 67 pounds. <laughs> I hope that has a tripod mount on it. Because <laughs> I don't know if the lens mount can handle it. Just that. rips it off. <laughs> Jeez, what's yeah. the um what kind of what filter size do I need on this thing? I don't know if it takes filters, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the filter size is somewhere around like 245 Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. I know. It's just physics, man. Yeah. You got to get that big old lens element, things like a telescope. It's crazy. <laughs> now, I'm I'm looking at the specs on this thing. Does this have OIS? Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's everything you need. How do you think that works? Like the there there has to be glass elements in that thing that move. Oh for my OIS to work. I mean, you probably need like external power source just to power the. That's not probably. I don't know if that's true. Has you like, probably has, has like hydraulics in it to move. It has, the has it's, yeah, exactly. Crazy. <laughs> you hear like a pump running. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just, people people are like, well, why don't you just add this or why don't you just add this? I feel like this lens is the answer to well, what if you just had everything in one lens? Yeah. What if, what if there was no budget limit? And, right. Yeah. Take off all the constraints. And just make a lens that's 25 to 1,000 at 2.8 with OIS. Man. What's the problem? That's crazy. Well, it weighs 67 pounds and it costs $250,000. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Well, I'm curious to see if anybody uses that. I mean, kind of like I was saying about the camera cloud stuff, they must have a market for it. But geez. Oh, for sure. They'll sell a few of these. Yeah. This is why the, we're not getting that update for the X-H2S is because they have a bunch of these these lenses to make and sell. Yeah, yeah. We ignore the fact that those are probably completely different divisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's immaterial. That's crazy. Yeah, man. Okay, oh. I think that is I think that is literally all the Fuji news. <laughs> <laughs> what other? I know I've seen some other lens stuff come out. What other lenses do we get? Uh, well, there was a few anamorphics that came out. So I think we've talked previously about the Laowa Proteus lenses. Yeah, we talked about that. Those, those are, that line of anamorphics. Maybe yeah. we can put a link in the show notes are they to the previous episode. Two X anamorphics, I believe. I think from that's Proteus? right. Yeah. 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 So they basically they added to the line. So they're they're pretty fast. I think those the Proteus ones are like 
T 2.1-ish, 2.4-ish, somewhere around there. I I forget exactly. Um, But they essentially added a few more, few more focal lengths. Still $5,000 a pop. You know, decent 2X anamorphics that'll cover full frame. So, Not bad. Yeah, man. I didn't even I didn't even do any research on this one. Just know that it happened. Mm-hmm. These lenses are already out. We already talked about them and are excited to like get more lenses in a you know reasonable budget, right? Yeah, yeah. More more anamorphics at a reasonable price. Point. Right. So like, I mean, we, we talked about the Cook lenses that came out fairly recently, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, and I mean those were thirty five thousand dollars a piece, and like that's just what you're going to pay for like good anamorphics. Yeah, this is seven times cheaper. Yeah, and but these ones are like you know it's like a rear anamorphic element, and like it's cheaper. It's like they're adding the flare into it, and so like there's a lot of you know it's not as good as something like a top end Cook. But for five thousand bucks, sure. I mean, pretty decent. And now, in addition to Proteus DZO, who also makes fairly cheap cinema glass, you can get like a spherical DZO lenses for somewhere between two to five thousand dollars. Okay, that are geared and they're like real yeah. cinema lenses, that's but they're pretty, cheap, pretty affordable as far yeah, as cinema lenses go. It is, and they're coming out with their own two X squeeze anamorphic. I mean, and this is great market market competition. It's so like I go back and forth on like you want more squeeze. Right. You want you want that 2x because whenever you bring it in, like your focus is going to be more oval. You're going to get more a wider field look, but with more compression and like that, you're going to get that fall off on the edges. And like mm-hmm. it's going to be more anamorphic and more better. And if you're if you're shooting anamorphic, you want more anamorphic. Yeah. I mean, you want to get as anamorphic as you can. So like 2x is where we want to get. But most of these cheaper ones, like the Lawan Anamorphs are 1.5 or the Viltrox Anamorphics that are cheaper are 1.3. The Moment anamorphic adapter is 1.3 and that's just it's just not anamorphic enough right i mean it's good but it's not great and so these coming out at 2x at a thousand dollars is cool oh so these are a thousand dollars sorry sorry five thousand dollars let okay. me start over five there were a thousand dollars i would have already bought yeah I, <laughs> I don't know about that but five thousand five thousand dollars each you can buy two for like they give you a little discount like nine thousand or something at t 2.1 so pretty fast they're not like super speeds you know like i think like t 1.4 or anything, but they're pretty fast. They're pretty cheap and they're 2X. So that's that's all that's all great. I think they come in PL and EF mount. Yeah, and it looks like they have a lot of different focal ranges available. So that's also nice. I thought the focal ranges were weird, but I guess it's more of like an anamorphic thing. So I, re- I recently heard someone say that like if you're shooting at 40 millimeter in anamorphic, the, the like the field of view that you have as far as the width is pretty close to like 24 millimeter. Okay. But you're getting the like the compression of a 40 millimeter. Mm. So that may be why these focal ranges are what they are. And so you get like a like a 28, a 32, a 40, a 55, a 75, and a 100. At least you have several options. Like it's that that's better than having like two choices. That's a I mean that's a full complete set in my opinion. And like a 28 is going to be pretty wide and in a 2x anamorphic. And so they, they basically have you covered from wide to wide to tight. And I'm sure that, you know, it's five total lenses. So it's, you know, sorry, six total lenses. So we're looking at like $30,000 all in. If you're going to buy all of them, probably 25 after the discounts. Um, but I bet you're going to be able to rent these for a decent price, maybe yeah. a few hundred dollars a day because, um, because they are cheaper. So rental houses will be able to get them out for less money and get their money back sooner. And yeah, it's uh, it's cheaper film projects, student films, that sort of thing, but an anamorphic look. Can't complain about that. And like I said, I'm kind of happy to see more competition because, you know, having multiple Definitely. things at that $5,000 price point, that's just going to make both of these companies have to push harder. So that's good. Yeah, it's like Lawa, Viltrox, and DZO are all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but like in the last, you know, three, four or five years, 
are really pushing on that low-end cinema world, trying to draw these people up, like all these creators that are getting into mirrorless and they're still shooting on mirrorless cameras, but they want more and more of that like film cinematic yeah. look. And but they can't afford to rent like a Cook series of lenses for a thousand bucks a day or going out to you know, Panavision and trying to get some some panel lenses and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This is all of a sudden becoming affordable and like we can see cool indie films with high budget looks. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really happy that, uh, you know, DZO is doing this and they're competing with Lawa and that sort of thing. That's great. Cool stuff. Another thing that came out was the new Tilta Nucleus Nano 2. So that's something that was teased last October, I think, but, and we didn't know when it was going to release. I'd seen June at one point, but they announced that at NAB. So it's a new version of their entry level follow focus system. And I don't know a ton about this, but I did look at it a little bit. It seems like one of the big improvements they made in this one is now instead of having this tiny, tiny little screen on the controller, it's a touchscreen and it's on the side of the knob. So it looks like it's much bigger and brighter and easier to work with. And it seems like it's just going to give you you know, an easier time configuring it and setting it up the way you want, which was a complaint I had when I used the original uh, Nucleus Nano. So that seems like a good improvement. They also increased the torque of the motor. I think they said it has like five times the torque. Oh, really? Of what it did before, which is, which is really good to see because that's something where you don't want to be at the limit. You know, if you have a big, heavy lens, you don't want the motor to barely be able to turn it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when you have a 200 millimeter front element on your Fuji lens like you need <laughs> that lens isn't cured <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is a nice improvement now one feature that they mentioned that i'm looking forward to researching more that i don't know too much about is i think they said that somehow this is compatible with dji gimbals and so i want to know what that means because i yeah. have a dji gimbal and i've used the follow focus on it do you think it's a matter of like you put the follow focus on the lens and then that integrates back to the handle on the gimbal well it could be that or it could be the other way where now maybe you can use the wireless knob controller to pull focus on a dji gimbal which to me would maybe be more interesting because you know if you had like a a first ac or something you know like somebody pulling focus for you then maybe you could just buy this wireless unit from the nucleus nano and maybe use that with your gimbal that'd be pretty neat i was thinking more like i've used the follow focus that comes with uh your ronin and it's not a great system um, as far as like trying to keep the gear on the camera and the teeth that line up and the amount of torque that it has. Yeah. Having something that's a nicer motor that's more purpose built, it would be heavier. So you do have to deal with that and like how much weight do you have. But if um, if I could just swap out a different motor system, but still use like the finger wheel on the gimbal, I'd be into that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe some interesting possibilities there. We're going to have to look into that more and see. One thing I did see on this one is that the price is $300, which is the same price that it was before. That was a little surprising to me because I thought I had seen that this one was going to be cheaper. But in all fairness, it seems like it's going to be a better product. And if it comes in at the same price that the old one did, I can't really complain. Yeah, I guess, you know, this is this is better than some of those cheaper ones that came out recently, uh, Magic Fizz. And I forget the other one. Yeah, maybe Axoon made one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the maybe Tilta will keep their old one around and drop the price or something. Maybe so. Yeah, I'll have to wait and see. But yeah, uh, I was excited to see this one get announced. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, let's uh let's talk about this Deity thing. Yeah, so Deity came out with a wireless mic that looks really interesting. 
Now, we've talked on this show multiple times about the DJI mic, and we love using that. We use that today for an interview shoot. Just to clarify, this is like a lav mic type thing where it can record, and then also you can plug a lav into it. This is the Deity PR2 new lav system. Yeah. Wireless yeah. lav system. Yeah, yeah. So what I was what I was getting at, though, is that we, we like the DJI one quite a bit, and this new Deity thing looks like the pro version of that DJI thing. Right. It's a wireless lab system, so you get like a little belt pack that your talent would wear. And then I don't know if it has a mic built into it. I think you may have to plug in a lav mic. Yeah, I don't know that either. Something we're going to have to look into. I think that we're still waiting on a lot of coverage on this to come out, and mm-hmm. it's mostly just been a press release. Yeah. Like, I think that even the um, the big feature is 32-bit float. They're doing this like dual gain thing, and they're trying. they're basically mixing the output of like, here's a dual gain input. And then here's 32-bit float on both of those. And then mixing that audio so you have a single stream that has a huge range yeah. with a good sample rate. And they were having like noise issues and that sort of thing. And so they were still working on getting that done and out the door. And so I don't think that, you know, there's like a non-beta version of this that's been yeah. tested by anybody. But they're like, you know, this close to getting it out mm. the door for purchase. And and to clarify, one thing that's really significant is that that 32-bit float recording is internal on the transmitter yeah that's a pretty big deal it is yeah because that's one feature that we've liked a lot on the dji mic is being able to record locally on that transmitter because that way you have a backup copy of your audio you don't have to worry about you know some kind of signal issue messing with it but nothing has been able to do that with 32-bit float and so that's that's a notable feature of this new mic right and it doesn't it does up to stereo it doesn't do float wirelessly so you're not getting the 32-bit float to your camera yeah through the recorder but you can get it locally for your safety track mm-hmm. and you can record both at the same time yeah and it also will send time code yeah well it'll sync wirelessly to right. other deity time code devices so if you're on a shoot where you're using time code you don't need like another time code receiver for this thing it can just work with deity's system and be time code synced with everything else so pretty cool yeah i mean it seems it seems like this is what we all want right it's a little little pocket recorder good for lab good for all your wireless stuff mm-hmm. 32 bit load on board time code just, it's, it's just everything right and it's probably going to be expensive right exactly yeah i don't know what the price is i think the current similar version is maybe like four or five hundred dollars mm-hmm. so i would expect this one to probably be in the same ballpark that's kind of what i'm expecting too i've been really impressed with the stuff i've seen from deity generally i feel like they kind of came in and disrupted the market a little bit it seems like their stuff is high quality but comes in at an affordable price yeah i mean it's it a lot like the amaran brand from aperture yeah yeah i get a lot of that feeling from them too yeah and and that's good to see because i especially for people at our level where we're not working on Hollywood productions, but you want to take it to like that one extra step of quality, I feel right. like they're hitting that market segment. Yep. And budget always matters. And if like if you can get 32 bit float for that safety and still keep it in a tight budget, I mean, you know, thumbs up for that. That's yeah. great. I'm like I'm excited to see this come out. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a cool announcement for sure. Yeah. Looking forward to that price. I think that Aperture announced some things. Uh, and that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, they did. Um, I don't know much about these either, but basically they're they're basically like cob lights, but they're RGB. So they have a 150 okay. and a 300, which I assume is wattage. Does that mean they're not cobs? Because cobs like a bunch of LEDs smooshed together. The name the name does not have cob in it. It seemed to me like these were like they had a they're higher wattage, and one of them had like a spotlight attachment option, so you can like get LED high output spotlight mm-hmm. functionality. 
Yeah, they. I mean, they look like key lights, right? Like they. Right. It looks like something like an Aperture One Twenty D, or probably a better comparison would be like the Amaran, uh, you know, One Hundred X, like that size of light. But these are RGB WW, so like they can do white and they can also do all the colors. And I think what was notable about them is that they're very powerful, but they're RGB point source lights. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, just filling out the lineup, good to see more options. You know, that way you can get exactly the light you want, whether you want like an LED panel or a point light. Like you have, you have choices. All right, there's one more big thing I want to dive into, but let me let me just run through a couple more, a couple more things that I saw. Cool. Small rigs coming out with a, tri- a tripod. Interesting. Do you, have you seen anything on this? I haven't, but man, small rigs coming out with so many different mm-hmm. things now. They've really expanded their offerings. So, how much does a how much does a uh, travel tripod from Peak Design cost? It's like what two fifty? No, I feel like it's more than that. It's like four hundred. It's up there, right? It's like oh, it's over. It's three hundred or more. Okay, right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, it's expensive. This tripod, the price point is three hundred bucks, but this thing is for it's for your your heavy cameras, right? So they have big payload on it. It's got those thick legs where it's like two outer legs with a leg in the middle. Oh, like, okay. I don't know how to describe. How this. many C's on those legs? Uh, like uh, two, or two C's. Okay, so, so it, it has like the size and the weight capacity for those. But you're familiar with your tripod that doesn't have the center column stack. Yes, and I, I hate that a huge giant pain to get it level. So the big feature that they have for this thing, and it's like their patent pending custom thing. You can release all three legs with one one click. And it's at the base of the head of the tripod. Oh, that, that's perfect. And so you can like set everything up, grab the head of the tripod right under the weight of the camera, click it, and now it's like free float or whatever. All the legs are done. And then you can lower and raise it. Oh, okay. And then it has the ability to set the uh, the tension on the three legs so that they can go wider or more narrow. So if you have a, just a little bit of space, you can set the width of the legs to be more narrow at their huh. final locking or wider. And then so between those things, it's very versatile. Like it holds a lot of weight and it can do big or small. And then you can easily raise and lower it, which that's always been like the biggest pain. It's like you have this big tripod with a fluid head for video stuff. It's not going to have a center column. Raising it and lowering it, and moving around is the yeah. nightmare. I'm interested. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And for 300 bucks, it's it's a really good price. Yeah, because I I just recently hit the frustration that I've got this camera rig that I built that weighs maybe about six or seven pounds, you know, with a V mount battery on it, and I want to be able to put it on a tripod. Mm-hmm. But my little travel tripod, I'm kind of concerned that the uh, legs aren't strong enough to hold it. Yeah. So something like so it's this like you want to use your video tripod, but that thing is it's heavy and it's annoying to set up and level and all that stuff. Exactly. It seems like they got it. They, they figured it out. Yeah. They solved it. All right. Well, I've got small rig V mount batteries. We've got a small rig cage. Well, yep. Why not just have a small rig tripod too? Uh, I don't know why, but this reminds me of the. Uh, did you see the new Condor Blue handle? No. Daniel, tell tell me more. They built a handle that has a slot for NVMe drive. <laughs> And it goes you, from you mean like the little the little SSDs that go mm-hmm. inside computers, and it has a USB port, so you can plug your handle into your Lumix S5 Mark II, Ooh, and then just record cool. to the SSD in the handle. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is because like doing like the T5s and like the, those style SSDs, they're just kind of big and clunky, and like where do you mount them? Yeah, NVMe's are tiny. Slide it into the handle. Problem wow. solved. That's interesting. Yep. So they're <laughs> planning on supporting right now. I mean, it's just, it's black magic and it's um, the S5 Mark II and Mark II X. Yeah. And then, you know, future 2023 camera of the year, uh, S1H Mark II. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a neat, neat thing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was fun. Uh, the question, question came up of like, does it get hot? 
And you're going to like put your camera down and have like whole burns marks in your hand. <laughs> and it's like, it gets warm, but you know, any, yeah. not any warmer than a normal SSD. Sure. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. DaVinci Resolve. Oh, it's that, it's that time. Beta 18.5. Yeah. This, this drops the first day of NAB on the Sunday of NAB and... That was like immediately the most noteworthy announcement to me. I mean, it's not that anyone needs more reasons to switch to DaVinci Resolve, but they just keep bringing it. They do. Okay. A bunch of key features, things to run through. First, I'm going to complain, which is I have an M2 iPad and I want to use it to use DaVinci Resolve to edit. And the iPad version is 18.5, but the 18.5 is beta on the computer. Right. And so now... I can't work on a project on both my iPad and my computer unless I put my computer on the beta. Now, have you confirmed that to be true? Are you are you just guessing? Or no, have you no. Actually I have tried it? I I created a project on my computer in eighteen point one. I opened it up on my iPad. It upgraded it to eighteen point five, and I there's there's no update on my computer for a stable eighteen point five. I see. And when I go and I open it up in the like the media browser. It's gone. It just doesn't mm. show up for my computer because it's, it's an incompatible Man. file type. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. So I guess PSA until yeah. 18.5 is available on the computer, but also with all these features, I'm just going to run the beta at this point. Yeah. I, f- I feel like we're about to update to the beta because this stuff looks really cool. Yeah. I'm just, I'm definitely going to be backing up projects later and then doing and doing yeah. this upgrade. So what what stood out to you about all the right. features? So uh, it looks like they, all, they updated the media engine, going to make uh, make editing a lot more smooth. That, that's going to be great for those of us that don't have computers with 32 GPUs. Okay. Okay. <laughs> bragging on number GPUs. I have, I have one billion GPUs, and you have two. <sighs> yes, it's going to be a lot nicer for me, <laughs> Daniel. And then uh, it looks like they're fixing a lot of the bugs on the cut page. I don't know what to what extent, but I know that we've had sync clip problems, and so hoping to see an update to that. Yeah, would love it if they had fixed that problem. They added a feature where you can. What do they call the whole like fixing lighting and post thing? They called that relighting. Yeah. Can you describe this for me? I think I can. I just saw like a 10 second video on Twitter of this and it blew my mind. Yeah. It, it seemed like it was on, I think it was on the Fusion tab maybe, or maybe as a resolve effect. I don't know exactly what it was, but basically I think it was from um, Armando maybe, but he had like a, a shot of a car and there was like a little handle on that image that he could drag around, you know, like you were dragging around like a mask or something. And as he was dragging it, it was basically changing all of the lighting in that shot to like as if you had moved the light from one side to the other. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like the equivalent of if you were doing something in like Unreal in like a 3D rendered environment and then you created a a light and then moved it around to cast shadows and Mm -hmm. light and hotspots and stuff within that 3D environment. But like it's mapping the real world using whatever, you know, crazy technology they have. And like faking the light, it was it was nuts. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, it looked from what we could see in the video, it looked good. It didn't mm-hmm. look cheesy or weird or anything. Like it looked good, and I, I can't wait to try this on something. Yeah, these AI AI masking features in Resolve are just they're so good. The yeah. magic mask is unbelievable. I can't wait to see how long it takes to render something with that relighting. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> oh, jeez, days. Yep, but super cool feature. 
They also had some other AI stuff that looked good. So they added a lot of things for uh, subtitles. Which is a huge missing thing. Premiere has subtitles input and you in Resolve, you have yep. to get a third-party plugin to get yep. subtitles. Yep. So now that's uh, that's built in, which seems great. That's huge. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to undersell that. Like it's a feature that I feel like I've been missing and something where if you do an interview, for some people, their workflow is give me the subtitles and then I'm going to and like with this timestamps and then they export it, they edit by reading the interview and then they know exactly where to cut. Yeah. And there's a, what's that software that um, that does that with AI where you can cut using the... So the other thing's called the script. Right. So, I mean, that's a cool workflow option. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Does this do that? Yeah. So I th- I think they have added that too. And they, they, they had it listed as two separate features. So one okay. was that it can generate subtitles with AI. And then the other thing is that I think you can do text-based editing now where you can basically like, I'm looking at the transcript of this video and I'm just going to delete this sentence. And I think that that takes out the video for that oh sentence. Oh my God. I want to do that so bad. So imagine like if you and I ever do this show as a video podcast. Sure. Imagine using that feature. Like Ugh. you could just look at the transcript of what we said and you could say, oh, you know, like I made a I made a joke there that fell flat. Let me just delete that real quick. And it would just take it out. It's perfect. For one, all my jokes land. Uh, How yeah, dare sure. you? Yeah. Two, you could do that, slap the voice isolation on there, and you're done. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it would just completely eliminate my job. You know, in some companies, uh, whenever they they do a point release, like, I mean, this could have been Dimension Resolve 19. Yeah. Um, But instead, you know, it's just a 0.5, right? It's 18 to 18.5. So some companies, when they create a a major point release, it's this huge, huge thing that releases all these crazy AI features. And then there's Fuji. <laughs> oh, we said we were done talking about that, Daniel. God, I don't know why you brought we it back are. up. It's dead, it's dead to me right now because oh, it's stupid 4.0 firmware update. Like, oh. oh, boy. Anyway, mm. so uh, what what else is coming out of this, man? <laughs> uh, they added uh, BIM Cloud presentations. So you can basically play back and show people your video live. It feels like they're coming for some frame.io they features. They definitely are, yeah. And and I'm here for it. I mean, like I, I like frame.io a lot. But I can imagine that if Resolve was to build in those features, they could do some cooler stuff. It feels like they kind of have to. I mean, Resolve is, integrates pretty well with a lot of different software. So I don't want to see them not integrate with other things. But Frame.io is owned by Adobe. Yeah. And right now it feels like Resolve is coming for Premiere. Yeah. And it's it's so good. And so many people are switching that, I mean, I love Frame.io. I like just being able to give that link to a client, have them review it, multiple, all those comments in the same spot. Plus all of like the, you know, shoot live video features and this stuff. It's it's a great platform. And if Adobe was like, uh, no longer supported in DaVinci Resolve because uh, Walled Gardens, you know, they'd be out of luck. And maybe yeah. maybe that would pull people back to Premiere. So it feels like Blackmagic has to do this. Yeah. And so yeah. I guess it's cool to see that they're starting to roll it out. Yeah, I agree. One other uh, thing that I noticed when I was looking at the feature list was they've added a thing that can automatically classify your audio files. So basically like, this thing can classify the audio files by what they are, whether it's dialogue or music or whatever. Can it automatically apply a color filter to them? I don't know exactly how it shows them to you. I think it might do it with like smart bins or something. Mm-hmm. But basically, you could throw in all of your audio files from like your Zoom recorder or whatever. And I think this thing can basically like analyze them and automatically tell you like this one's sound effects, this one's talking. Like eh, that's that's pretty, pretty cool. that's pretty neat. Yeah, it just feels like they're embracing this AI stuff and they're starting to add more AI based features. And kind of like we were talking a few weeks ago with cameras, I'm really excited to see how these companies integrate AI into their tools. 
I don't really think it's going to replace video editor jobs. I, I think we're pretty far off from the AI, like completely editing a good video to the sure. same level of quality that a human would. But I mean, it just seems like there's so much cool stuff now where you can use AI to like mask out something in a shot or do this relighting stuff or do transcription or whatever. And I think that we have some really exciting times ahead with getting these tools that help us do things more efficiently, do things better or more quickly. I think it's gonna be really cool. Oh, for sure. I kind of miss the feature of audio lanes from Final Cut Pro. There's no way that you would really be able to implement something like that in Resolve that I can think of, but it was cool to be able to just set a category for your audio type and then it would group them. And like Resolve, it's like, here's here's a bunch of tracks and you're like working in tracks. So I can't imagine that working for Resolve. Yeah. But it was it was neat and finally got to be like, I'm dropping in all this stuff and then I turn on audio lanes and now it's like, here's my music down here and it's green and here's my dialogue here and it's blue and it just like perfectly separates everything out and it's really clean. And I liked working like that. And so maybe if there was a way to, like you can set priority tracks for like where things drop in in Resolve. It would be cool if it did this automatically where it's like, I know a dialogue, I know that this is sound effects, I know this is music. And whenever I just like insert it will automatically throw all the music into like track three or track four. Yeah. And that, and I don't have to like make sure I have like the first two tracks set to be not whatever, like locked, like don't, you know, set the priority of the, of the drop. And I'll have to do that ahead of time. It'll just automatically do it. Yeah. I mean, it feels like there's like one step away from that, right? Like if right. they can classify the audio and I mean, assuming that's somewhat accurate, mm-hmm. it seems like there's like one step away from making it so that you could set like an affinity for each of your tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like something like that would go really well with the cut page because yeah. I mean, you're trying to do it fast, not having to think about, okay, which track does this go? I'm putting this in track two, track three, whatever. And it just being there. Yeah. I mean, that'd be great. I like it. So, I mean, we're not saying that's what this does, yeah. but like, I hope that's the direction that it's going. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure Blackmagic is listening right now. Well, so, obviously. You know, that, that's that's a feature idea if it's not already in. This is the Blackmagic podcast. <laughs> it's actually a different podcast and it's not about camera gear. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one more thing on this, uh, per timeline color management. I'm sure you don't care about this, but I think this is great. Is that something that's been missing for you? Uh, Sort of, not really. So like, There's two different ways you can manage color. One is from a project settings perspective, you can set your input and output colors for a project, but then it's going to apply to all the timelines. Right. And uh, if you're working in, or you can go and do it in the color management page. And what I've done is like, uh, we had a bunch of footage and I created like three or four different timelines. Here's a trailer. Here's the actual video cut. Here's a different video. And it's like, you make a bunch of videos in within one project for something. Sure. And like, maybe you want them to have like a different look. And the cool thing about Resolve is that you can use groups and you can like, you know, okay, here's this, here's, here's, I'm in the color page. All these clips are in one group, group them. And then that grade applies to everything in the group. Right. And I mean, it, it works great, but it applies to every timeline. Uh, and so like, if I do a color grade in one, it's going to be in the other one. I hope that this means that this color management, you can do groups and stuff per timeline. That way you can have a different look in a different grade if you want to. It may just mean that the color management stuff is per timeline instead, but I'm kind of hoping it means the latter or the former because that would make my job easier on things where, you know, maybe I want to use the color matching and just copy it over, but I want to have a completely different color flow based on the timeline. Well, I think we're going to have to get this beta and try some of the stuff out because it it all seems really cool. Yeah, I hope that it's stable enough because... just going to have to do it. Yeah. I'll back up these projects and I'm just going to jump in. Uh, I like it. See what happens. That's what we need to do. Okay, cool. 
Man, geez, we covered a lot of stuff, Daniel. Yeah, we did. There's a lot going on in the camera world right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, we're still like, is NAB a week or two weeks? I think it's a week. Yes. I mean, there's still a ton of, ton of stuff to come. Days to go. Sony hasn't even announced a camera yet. Oh, man. You're right. They haven't. So <laughs> that's something to look forward to. Yep. Do you think that Panasonic is going to drop the uh, S5 Mark II X at NAB? Oh, that's Didn't a good Didn't they question. say that it was going to come out in like May or something? They did say it was going to come out in May. I don't know if they're going to... I mean, they've announced it already. Like, we know what the feature set is. Right. I don't really know that they would... Maybe they'll have some prototypes there for people to play with or something, but unless they have like some surprising new feature, I feel like it's just going to release in May. Who knows? I don't know. We'll wait and see. Cool. Anything else you want to talk about today? I can't think of anything. All right. I think we'll call it there then. That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening, and we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.